Herman Melville, author of Moby Dick, called this book that we will be studying the truest of all books. There are many honest books in the world, but very few are committed as this book is relentlessly to pulling back the curtains and exposing the most difficult realities of life. So this book is a commentary on mankind. It is a commentary on God. It is a commentary on life. And as it comments, it does so with shocking honesty. It pulls no punches. It holds nothing back. To read it is to face the reality about ourselves. It is to face the reality about this world. It is to face the reality about our deepest longings and our deepest desires. Now... Let's not all pretend we're excited to read a book like that. (laughs) Americans are known for escapism. We have a tendency to distract and relieve ourselves from reality because much of reality is disappointing, to say the very least. So we change the channel, we plug our Ears, la, 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 we close the book. As T.S. Eliot famously said, humankind cannot bear very much reality. Well, you cannot read this book without bearing very much reality. The subtitle for the sermon series could have been Bearing Reality. Ecclesiastes is brutally realistic, and it has been ringing true and making people squirm for centuries. So come and let us squirm together. Ecclesiastes is Latin for the Hebrew word kohelet, which commonly translates into English as the preacher, though a better translation would be professor or pundit, that is the word that the author chooses to identify himself. And so in this book, the author is gathering an audience to listen to him about a particular subject of which he is an expert. And the subject is life. So at this point, we plan to devote 16 sermons to this book of the Bible, and today we'll be taking the very first 11 verses, which actually make up the author's introduction. In these first 11 verses, the author introduces the first of two dominating themes, and here it is, all is vanity. All is vanity. That is his first chipper theme. We'll look to understand that statement and then for some relief we'll walk ahead in the book to the first introduction to the author's second great theme. So before we begin, we should pray together. Please bow your heads with me. 
Our Father in heaven, we need help understanding your word and we need help applying your word. So help us now, we pray in Jesus name. Amen. Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter one. If you're using one of our church Bibles, which you're free to take with you, if you don't have a Bible, you'll find today's text on page 355. Here is the opening line. Chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Preacher. That's that Hebrew word, Kohelet. It's used eight times in this book. It's what the author calls himself. And again, a better translation is probably the pundit or the professor. He's gathering an audience to listen to him on a particular subject of which he's an expert. And who is this professor? He is, we're told, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So this is Solomon. This is Solomon, the second child of David and Bathsheba, who became king of Israel upon his father's death. You remember the famous story. In 1 Kings chapter 3, God came to Solomon in a dream and told him that he would give him Whatever he wanted, surprising most of us, Solomon asked for wisdom so that he could righteously govern God's people. God was pleased with Solomon's request. In fact, so pleased, not only did he give him the wisdom, he gave him riches and power. Verses 12 and 13 of 1 Kings 3. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind so that none like you has been before you, and none like you shall arise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall compare with you all your days. That's the author, Solomon. In 2 Samuel 12, we read that Solomon had another name, a name that God gave him, Jedidiah, which means loved by God. God loved Solomon. God loved Solomon. And so God was very good to Solomon, even though Solomon was not always good to God. In 1 Kings 11, we're told that Solomon had a weakness and it was women. Rather than loving one woman, which he should have done, Solomon loved many women, which no surprise did not go well. We're told he had 700 wives. 700 wives and many of them succeeded in, we're told, turning his heart away to other gods. Nevertheless, as God had promised in 2 Samuel 7, verses 14 and 15, his steadfast love did not depart from Solomon. He lovingly, God did, discipline Solomon by handing him over to his sin. And in time, it is my belief, God granted him repentance. And he writes Ecclesiastes now as an old man, probably near the end of his life, looking back with godly sorrow on time and life 
wasted. He had wrung out this life to the very last drop and found it lacking. All that said, he is a well-qualified professor. So let's pull up a chair. Let's listen to the wisest man of all time. That's what we're told. This is the wisest man of all time. Lord willing, we'll be listening to him from now until the end of summer. We'll break, I mean, right? We'll break. We're not going to go like now all the way through summer, but Lord willing, this will be our sermon series through the end of summer. Verse 2. Verse 2. He begins the content of his book in verse 2. And here he gives his thesis statement. You remember what a thesis statement is? Your thesis statement is the sentence toward the beginning of your essay where you let your reader know what the essay is going to be about. This is your main point. This is your main topic. This is your central theme. So here is Solomon's. And if you are hoping for something positive, prepare to be disappointed. Verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So I've put together three questions to help us understand this one of two main themes in this book of Ecclesiastes. Three questions to help us grasp what he's saying here. Number one, Where is this vanity? Number two, does he really mean this? And number three, what is this vanity? So number one, where is this vanity? All is vanity, he says. Everything is vanity. Everything where? What part of life? Is vanity. What what part, Solomon, what part of this world is vanity? What is the what is the scope of this vanity? And we have a clue in the very next verse, verse three. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? There's a very important phrase there. You see this phrase, these three words under the sun. Those are important words. It's answering our question. Solomon will use that phrase under the sun 26 times in this book. And it means this earth. Under the sun means this earth. Under the sun is the Old Testament equivalent of the New Testament, the world. It's where we live. It's where we work. It's where we play. It is everything from horizon to horizon, excluding God and eternity. It's this life, which Solomon is an expert on. He is writing about life under the sun. In fact, that is the subtitle for this sermon series. Life under the sun. Broadly, That's what Solomon is writing about. So according to Solomon, where is this vanity? Everywhere. 
It's everywhere. You cannot escape this vanity. I cannot escape this vanity. In other words, all is vanity. In other words, everything, all of life under the sun is vanity. That's what Solomon is saying. So our second question, does he really mean this? Does he really mean that? Come on, Solomon. Everything? Somebody wake up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? Someone need a hug? All of life, everything. It's worth considering whether or not Solomon actually means this. Some believe he doesn't actually mean this. So does he mean it? Is this hyperbole? Maybe he is just exaggerating the truth. He's stretching the truth to get our attention. It's possible he's being sarcastic. Maybe he's playing the devil's advocate. Maybe he doesn't really believe this and he's just speaking from a secular, humanistic point of view. I don't think so. I believe Solomon actually means this. I believe Solomon is daring to go where few would go. He is being brutally realistic. And I believe he really means this for two reasons. One, he uses this word vanity 34 times in this book. 34 times. And he will apply it to nearly Every aspect of life. So let me give you a four verse sampling. 2.17. I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity. 3.19. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beasts for all is vanity. 11.8. If a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. And 11.10, remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. And there's 30 others. He actually means this. Second reason I believe Solomon actually means and believes this is he repeats this exact statement at the end of his book, which is, remember, is exactly what you do with a thesis statement. You put it at the beginning and you repeat it at the end. Listen to chapter 12, verse 8. This is just six verses short of the end of the book. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all of vanities. That is an exact restatement of chapter 1, verse 2. That phrase is the bookends of this book. It is his thesis statement. It is a main point. It is a central theme. So now, most important of these questions, what does Solomon actually mean? What is vanity? He means it. And he sees it 
in all of life under the sun. But what is it? The Hebrew word is hevel, and it is not an easy word to translate. Literally, the word means vapor or smoke or fog. So it actually reads vapor of vapors. All is vapor or smoke of smoke. All is smoke. Now, Solomon obviously doesn't mean Hevel literally. Everything is not literally vapor and smoke and fog. So translators have done their best by giving a figurative translation, trying to get at what Solomon actually means. Most of them have settled on one of two words. If you have an NIV, the word is meaningless. And the more common, vanity, is the word used in the ESV, the NASB, the King James Version. Meaningless is not a good translation. Because, thank God, all of life under the sun is not meaningless. That's not what Solomon is saying. Vanity is better. Vanity is a better word, but it still struggles to convey the depth of this word. That is a common problem, by the way, for Bible translators. That's a very common problem. You have a word in the original Hebrew or in the original Greek, and you just don't have a specific English word that gets the job done. I mean, vanity typically means, if you look this up in an English dictionary, vanity typically means excessive pride in one's own achievements or appearance. And that's definitely not what Solomon is talking about when he says that all is vanity. Vanity can also mean the quality of being worthless or futile, which is closer, but that still comes up short. So here's what we're going to do. Based on how Solomon uses this Hebrew word, Hevel, and based on how other Old Testament writers use it, I'd like to suggest we keep three words in mind. When you think of this word vanity, I suggest that we keep three words in mind. And I think these three words will help us to get at this theme of Solomon, this commentary on life. Here are the three words I would suggest. Fleeting, monotonous, And inscrutable. Fleeting. It goes by quick. It lasts for a very short time. Monotonous. is tedious and repetitive. Inscrutable. Impossible to understand or interpret. Okay, so life is short. It's transient, it's elusive, it's ephemeral, it's transitory, it is fleeting, it goes by very quickly, it's vanity. Life is boring, 
It is repetitive. It is wearisome. It is mind-numbing. It is monotonous. It is the same thing over and over and over. Life is vanity. It is absurd. Life is absurd. Its circumstances are inexplicable. It is puzzling. It is mysterious. It doesn't make any sense. We cannot figure it out. All is vanity. All of life under the sun is vanity. And that is one of two main themes in this book of Ecclesiastes. So then, read with me. In verses 3 through 11, Solomon simply begins to establish and illustrate that reality. So let's read through them with just a few comments. Verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? That's quite a question. Man works, that's toils. Man works his entire life. And at the end of his life, what does he have to show for it? That's Solomon's question. At the end of his life, what does he have to show for it? That's a rhetorical question asked by Solomon. He doesn't want to know what you think. He doesn't want to know what I think. He knows the answer. Remember, he is the pundit here. He is the professor. And do you know what his shockingly honest answer is? Nothing. Nothing. What does man gain by all his hard work? Nothing. I I want you to hear the force of this. To understand the weight of exactly what Solomon is saying here. We say, we think, I am going to leave this world a better place. And Solomon says, no, you're not. We say, I am going to make a difference. And Solomon says, no, you're not. We say, the younger we are, the more so. I am going to change this world. Solomon says, no, you're not. I'm going to seize the day. No, you're not. I'm going to find meaning and purpose and joy in this life. And Solomon says, no, you're not. He says that. Listen to verses four through eight. A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. 
The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. All of life is vanity, Solomon is saying. We come and go while the earth lives on and watches. Life goes on. It goes quickly. Life is fleeting. Life is monotonous. Life is repetitive, just like the sun and the wind and the rivers. All of you understand this. Most of you know pretty much exactly what's going to happen tomorrow. You're going to wake up. You're going to drink your coffee. You're going to take your shower. You're going to put on clothes and you're going to go sit in traffic. And then you're going to go to work. Nothing exciting is going to happen at work. You'll have a lunch break. That's as exciting as it's going to get. You'll be done. And then you'll drive home. You'll sit in traffic again. Maybe you'll go to the gym. Probably not. You'll go home, you'll eat some dinner, you'll watch a TV show, and you'll watch the same TV show you watched last night. And then you're going to go to bed, and then you're going to wake up, and you're going to do the same thing over and over again. That is your repetitive life. And creation itself, Solomon is reminding us, creation itself is doing the same thing. And then according to verse 8, What Solomon says is, that is not satisfying. What does he say? It is full of weariness. It's tedious. It's boring. It is monotonous. The same thing over and over again. One week ago, I cut my grass. I already have to cut it again. I got one week of joy. And it looks terrible again. Two weeks ago, I cut my hair. It's time to cut my hair again. Those dishes that you just cleaned last night, they're dirty tonight. Those clothes that you just cleaned, they are dirty again. It amazes me. I watch how much work my wife does. Dishes after dishes after dishes after dishes. You don't think that's monotonous? You don't think that sort of repetition is mind-numbing and (laughs) soul-sucking? I mean, six, eight people in our family, I mean, just mounds and mounds and mounds of laundry. She washes all of it. She cleans all of it. She folds all of it. We're terrible. We just watch her. (laughs) She asks for help putting it away, and I put it all in the wrong places, so she never asks me to do that again. It's awful. I actually don't know where this stuff goes. Over and over and over again. It's got to be so frustrating because you have an empty laundry basket for like 10 seconds. And then there's more in it. And then there's more dirty dishes. And I just picked up that room. And now there it is. And I just crossed that off at work. And I just finished that task. And now there's a thousand tasks behind it. It's the same thing over and over again. I paid that bill last month. Why am I getting another one? 
when will this be done? Never. It's discouraging, depressing over and over and over again. Life is the same thing over and over and over again. And let's be honest, it is exhausting. It is not satisfying. Verses 9 through 11. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? Here's what Solomon is saying here. Some people deny what he's saying up until this point. Maybe you do. Some people deny what he's saying. No, my life will be different. My life's going to be different. I'm going to break the mold. I'm a dreamer. I'm going to make a difference. And here's his response. It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Ouch. Solomon is saying... You're going to live and die and no one will remember anything you did. That's not very American. That's not American slogan. He says, hey, wake up. You're going to... He, 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 he speaks to the question, well, there's new, there's new things and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. He says, no, you're not. You're going to live and then you're going to die and no one will remember you or what you did. It's like this. Your life is on a treadmill. Think of it that way. Your life is on a treadmill. So you are going to, I hope you do, you are going to run really hard in this life and you are going to get really sweaty in this life, but at the end of your life, you're still going to be in your living room. That's life. You're on the treadmill. You're doing a lot of running. You're doing a lot of work. But at the end of the day, you're still in your living room. And then while you're on that treadmill, you're going to die and you're going to fall off the treadmill. And someone else is going to get on the treadmill and they're going to run hard and they're going to get sweaty and then they're going to just die and fall off the treadmill. And then someone else is going to get on the treadmill and on and on and on. And no one is going to remember you or anything you did on that treadmill. All is vanity. It's true. I mean, how many of you even know the name of your great, 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 great grandfather? Okay, one out of 200. That's half a percent, right? Solomon is establishing and illustrating this theme. All of life under the sun is vanity. That is one bitter dose of reality. Can you bear that? That is a bitter dose of reality. If you were not excited to study this book, I bet you are now. <laughs> Some of you are feeling like your summer just got ruined 
Some of you walked in, maybe you're visiting today, and you're thinking, I, I came to church to be encouraged. I came to the wrong place. So in conclusion, I do think it'd be wise to answer one final question. Why should I come back next week? <laughs> That's our final question. Why? Really, seriously. Because Solomon just said all that. It's not an exaggeration. He's not being sarcastic. All of life is vanity. So why should I come back next week? So to answer that, we need to jump ahead and read the conclusion of this section. It's at the end of chapter 2. We're going to take a peek. We'll get to it in time. But at the end of chapter 2, what we have here is the first of several very important joy passages in this book. Most of the book is pessimistic. But then there are these sparkles of optimism sprinkled throughout. So Martin Luther called the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 a remarkable passage, one that explains everything preceding and following it. This is the key to the book. It is, he said, the principal conclusion, in fact, the point of the whole book. So if you'll remember, I said at the beginning that there are two dominating themes in this book. And the first that he makes very clear in that thesis statement is that everything under the sun is vanity. All of life under the sun is vanity. But here we find the second. So let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God, for apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and a striving after the wind. Now, there are some translation issues here, which we will look at in weeks to come. But look again with me. There's enough here for us to see quickly. Look again with me at just verses 25 and 26. Solomon says something here that he will say throughout his book. It is his second central theme. For apart from him, that is apart from God. Who can eat or who can have enjoyment. For the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. In other words, apart from God, there is no enjoyment in this life. Here are the two central themes. Number one, again, all of life under the sun is vanity. Now, again, we need to feel the weight of that. Remember, Solomon is not saying all of life seems like vanity. 
No, it really is. All of life is vanity. And then his second theme is this. Only the Christian who knows the God above the sun can enjoy it. That's Ecclesiastes. Let me say those two themes again. Number one, all of life under the sun is vanity. And number two, only the Christian who knows the God above the sun can enjoy it. Not make it not vanity, but enjoy the vanity. Here's how the professor says it in 5, verse 19. Chapter 5, verse 19. Hear that same thing here. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions. Now let's pause. How many of us has God given wealth and possessions? I think all of us. I'm fairly confident to say that. Who we are and where we live and when we live, God has graciously given every one of us wealth and possessions. So again, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them, And to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. So did you hear what Solomon just said? So there's the giving. God does this of wealth and possessions. You have wealth and possessions. You have life. You have breath in your lungs. You have nice weather. You have a family. You have shelter. You have blankets. You have food. You have drink. Yes, you have all these things. Those are a gift from God. But there's another gift God gives to some. And it is. The power to enjoy them. God gives the wealth and possessions and he gives the power to enjoy them. Again, all of life under the sun is vanity and only the Christian who knows the God above the sun can enjoy it. Solomon's book is about enjoying life under the sun. It really is. It is about enjoying life under the sun. And listen, and we're going to explain this as we go on. But he's not talking about enjoying, enjoying God in spite of life under the sun. He's not talking about enjoying God in this life under the sun. Those are things. But he's talking about actually enjoying life under the sun. Life under the sun is vanity and only believers can enjoy it truly. Only believers can see life for what it is and laugh and rest and eat and drink and find joy. Joy in the vanity. Joy in the monotony. Joy in the futility. Here's a comment that Walter Kaiser makes in his commentary on Ecclesiastes. He says, 
What unifies this book is the assertion that there is a God-given joy that can be found in life even though a strong bass pedal note of mist is played against the more central search for some kind of fixed point of reference and meaning in one's work. This book points to learning and living that yields enjoyment to life itself and joy in such basic functions of life such as eating, drinking, and happiness in one's work. And today, that power to enjoy life is only found in Christ. He is the key. Nothing else. Of course, you want satisfaction. Of course, you want peace of mind. Of course, you want joy. Of course, you want answers. What Solomon will go on to say is that we pile up all these things and pursue joy and satisfaction and peace and meaning and purpose and his other word for all those things is wind. Because I've been there, I've done that. It's chasing after the wind. You're never going to get it. It's only in Christ. It's only through God. It is only the Christian who can enjoy this vain life, who can enjoy the apparent futility who can enjoy the inscrutable repetitiveness. What did Jesus say in John chapter 10, verse 10? Something very similar. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. In a moment, we'll be taking communion together at Veritas. All Christians who are willing to forsake their sin, trust in Jesus Christ for salvation and are committed to this or another local church that preaches the gospel are invited and welcome to join us for Holy Communion. Following the sermon, leaders will be serving from the front. We ask that you would empty into the center aisle, then take the emblems, return to your seat from the outside. Once everyone is seated, we will eat and drink together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to face the realities of this life. Help us to resist the temptation, God, to escape or distract or relieve ourselves or sugarcoat the truth. God, help us to be brutally realistic with Solomon about this life and what's in it and what's not in it and what it's for and what it's not for. And God, would, would you give us as your people the power to enjoy the gifts you've given us in this life? God, would you take the next several months and, and transform us and 
make us a people who face honestly this life and find great peace and satisfaction and joy because of you. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.